Oh, I heard it all before. So don't knock down my door. I'm a loser and a user, so I don't need no accuser to try and slag me down because I know you're right. But you're not going to get slagged down today because you're listening to Sounds Good to Us. I'm Gregory Hill. And I'm Jordan Stone. This is a podcast where two friends of over 20 years pick one album and talk about why it's awesome to us, even if you don't think so, and that's okay. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get started with today's album. It's Dookie by Green Day. Jordan, will you drop some knowledge on us, please? Yeah, this is Green Day by Dookie. Wait, what? (laughs) This is... (laughs) Good start. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. It's technically my fault. Yeah, this is Dookie by Green Day, their third studio album, but it is their major label debut, which is an important distinction, and we'll talk about that. It was released on February 1st of 1994, and Greg and I have some stories about that time. I won't get into that now, so let's jump into general information, Greg. All right. Speaking of age, Billy Joe Armstrong was 21 years old, almost 22. He turned 22 the month that this album was released. The genre is complicated, as we'll get into. It's a little bit controversial, but you could say that it's punk rock. I still stand by it being punk. You could say it's pop punk, although some people might disagree. You can also just put it in the 90s context of alternative rock. The thing I like the most is sort of punk revival, right? So this didn't kick off punk. Obviously, punk existed before, but this brought back punk in a big way in the 90s. Here's one of my favorite things, Jordan. This album is 39 minutes and 34 seconds long. Love it. It is tight. It is an easy listen. It is efficient. There's 14 tracks on the album, which is shocking to have that many tracks. None are longer than three minutes and 59 seconds. There's also a hidden track called All But Myself, which I'm sure we'll talk about. That's at the end of one of our favorites, F.O.D. The label was Reprise. You talked about this being the major label debut of this Berkeley band. Producers Rob Cavallo and Green Day. So Green Day did have a good bit of uh, control over the sound of this album. Rob Cavallo also later on went to acclaim for the Goo Goo Dolls' Dizzy Up the Girl. He also produced Iris, My Chemical Romances, The Black Parade, Phil Collins' Testify, and Kid Rock's Rock and Roll Jesus. The album was recorded at Fantasy Studios in Berkeley, California. Jordan and I used to work in Berkeley. I lived in Berkeley for a period of time. One of my favorite cities in the entire world. Shout out to Brazil Cafe. The real ones know. Five singles on this album, Longview, Basket Case, Welcome to Paradise, When I Come Around, and She. Two things struck me by this, Jordan. I was surprised that She was a single. I was also surprised that When I Come Around was the fourth single. Some album moods to kind of get you in the mood for this podcast, Jordan. Cynical, sarcastic, energetic, rowdy, and brash. Sounds right to me. Let's move on to some sales. It was a major hit. There is no denying how big of a hit this was. Most of the albums that we've covered so far have been big hits. This is no exception. It peaked at number two on the U.S. Billboard 200. And in the Billboard 200 90s end of decade chart, this was number 33. So this is up there as far as 90s music goes. Somewhat surprisingly to me, and we'll talk about this, I think our memories of this album are pretty much crystallized in the mid-90s, right? We were kids. We loved this album. We didn't read reviews at that age. I was surprised to see that this album is is reviewed quite well. All Music is a 5 out of 5. Alternative Press, 5 out of 5. Billboard, 4.5 out of 5. Pitchfork, even, 8.7 out of 10. 
The Rolling Stone album guide gave this a 5 out of 5, and even The Village Voice, which I was assumed to be of very discriminating taste, gave it an A-. Stands out to me is this might be the highest rated album overall of Mm -hmm. any album that we've done, which includes, by the way, Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill, Kendrick Lamar, and others. And that's impressive to me. Don't forget Nelly's Country Grammar. Of course. I also was surprised by that. I would have thought this would have been not the lowest, but I thought this would have been in like cake territory. Critics not taking it seriously, etc. This is a landmark album. It won Best Alternative Album at the Grammys in 1995. In 1994, Time claimed Dookie as the third best album of the year and the best rock album of 1994. It's placed 193rd in the original Rolling Stones 500 Greatest Albums of All Time, which is a very important list. I think Jordan and I both probably owned the copy of that magazine and read it religiously. And then Rolling Stone re-ranked in 2020, bumping it down to 375. I don't um, know why they would do that. Have you read the two lists? I, it would be I an interesting. I'm curious what made it drop what 180 whatever spots. Yeah, we should do know. a uh, side episode on these lists because this. Yeah. I, I would say that the the original Rolling Stones 500 Greatest Albums of All Time might be one of the most important documents I've ever read. Right. Because you know it was just at a time where I was starting to collect vinyl and I had money to buy my own albums and I I, I was introduced to a lot of music. But I agree, it fell a lot, and it's curious why. The only quote I really have here is a fan quote. Green Day's major label debut is an explosion of punk pop pleasure. They found the promise of the American dream a joke, but they don't know who to blame. I think that's a great explanation of what this album is. Why don't you get us with some fun facts? What I'd like to do here is give a background on the band. Uh, Also, some fun facts. Just in case you don't know a lot about Green Day, this will help bring you up to speed. Green Day is a rock band from the East Bay of San Francisco area formed in 1987, like Greg was mentioning earlier. Green Day, the name, is a nod to marijuana. Yes, as in smoking weed oh, all shot. day. So a green day. Smoke uh, weed every day. Green Day is three members, which is very rare in music history. Some bands that come to mind, Rush, Nirvana, Green Day. Billy Joe Armstrong is the guitar and lead. Mike Durnt on bass and Trey Cool on drums. Green Day has sold more than 75 million albums worldwide. They are one of the top selling bands of all time. I wouldn't have guessed that before doing the research, but although it doesn't surprise me. Green Day is credited with popularizing mainstream interest in punk rock in the United States, which we're going to dive into more. They have won 20 Grammy Awards. Amazing. Their album, American Idiot, has its own Broadway show. Just like Jagged Little Pill. That's yeah, a cross-episode exactly. record. done too, yeah. It puts in perspective how important Green Day is. If one of your albums is turned into a Broadway show... You're a pretty big deal. Fun fact here, at the 1994 iteration of Woodstock, they started an infamous mud fight. Go on YouTube and watch this thing. It'll blow your mind if you've never seen it before. It's a great part of the band's history, and it's, it's even crazier than you're probably thinking in your mind right now. This fun fact I really love. Weezer, Rivers Cuomo is a lead singer, right? And he came out and he said he learned how to write songs by listening to Green Day. And before doing the research this week, I would have never guessed that. I think of of Weezer and Green Day as like the same timing, like true contemporaries of each other. So this really surprised me. If you're learning how to write and you're being that influenced by someone who's releasing music at the same time as you, that's Mm -hmm. really cool. It's almost like a Beatles, Beach Boys situation where Rivers Como is listening to this and Definitely a, a Beatles, Beach Boys situation. That's cool. So Rivers, the lead singer of Weezer, acknowledged his debt to the band in the 1996 Weezer single El Scorcho, which features the lyric, I asked you to go to the Green Day concert. You said you never heard of them. How cool is that? 
I can hear that line in my head. Go listen oh, yeah. to El Scorcho oh, cool uh, from that? Pinkerton. Great song. And so we're going to dive into this more, but Green Day is punk pop. And when we started doing the research for this episode, there's three things that came to mind. Three questions. Who are their influences? Who came before Green Day? And did Green Day, in fact, invent pop punk? We're going to answer those questions. I want to, you know, this is a fun facts part, but I want to dive into uh, bands that predate Green Day and talk about that a little bit. Great. I'm so excited. got a list here. What came before Green Day? We're talking about punk music. You've got Ramones, which are US based, and the rest on this list are UK based, with the exception of Husker Du. So you've got The Clash, Sex Pistols, and Buzzcocks. Very influential in the punk scene, right? And then a band called Husker Du. And Husker Du, you go look them up. Basically, they're very influential in the 80s. Punk band from the United States. They have a song called Don't Want to Know If You Are Lonely, which Billy Joe cites as a major influence for Green Day. Also, Operation Ivy is cited as a major influence. They were also in the Bay Area, in Berkeley. So kind of at the same time as Green Day, only one album. Operation Ivy and Husker Du were underground, though. They were not commercially successful. You may have heard their names or seen someone wearing a t-shirt. But those two bands were nowhere near what Green Day became. So we're going to fast forward now to Dookie. Steve Earlwine of All Music described Green Day as, quote, punk revivalist who recharged the energy of speedy, catchy, three-chord punk pop songs. But they were labeled as sellouts. When they released Dookie, they were coming off two albums on an independent label as a punk band, labeled as sellouts. So my question to you, Craig, I'm very curious is selling out still a thing in 2021? Well, our friends have actually recently accused us of selling out. Yeah, that's true. Um, based on our meteoric <laughs> rise through the Spotify and iTunes charts. And frankly, I don't give a fuck. I think about Green Day, and this is what's funny about doing the podcast. Week to week, you're putting together things in your mind that don't match. I've never thought about Nelly and Green Day at the same time. But back-to-back episodes, yep. both were accused of the same thing. Yeah. Nelly by hardcore rap fans and artists saying that's pop rap. That's not yep. rap. You're a sellout. Green Day, underground punk. You're a sellout. Now, on one hand, you listed some of the most famous punk bands throughout history. Punk was a rich genre with many, many, many artists and uh, painters and comic books. And it's a culture, right? And that culture is a, a blatant fuck you to commercialism. Yes. So I understand from the perspective of someone who is heavily invested in a punk ethos, why they would think that of Green Day. However, I think both for Nelly and for Green Day, I would never been exposed to any of that thinking about politics, about the world. There's a lot about the world I wouldn't know without having listened to Sandinista by The Clash. But I, I did learn a lot and got more interested into those types of things. I don't think necessarily that Green Day sat down and said, we are going to do something against ourselves. We're going to do something against everything that we believe in just so that we can become rich. And we're going to manufacture music that hits a mainstream audience so that we can collect a paycheck. I think they made their music and they made music that people fucking loved. And yes. so I, look, if you're kind of into the market, the market dictated that people love Green Day and Green Day capitalized on that. I don't think that's a bad thing. Now, your question was, and I, same thing for Nelly, right? Your question is, is selling out still a thing? I haven't heard anybody 
accused of this, and I don't yeah. know if I feel like it's it died as a comment. Is it the internet? Is it the way the music industry is now, where you can just self-release albums? You don't need a major label. I, I don't know what it is. What I would say, if I had to hypothesize, I think part of it is that Green Day. You mentioned this was their third album, their studio debut. If Green Day was making music now, they would have released Longview on Spotify. Yes. Right. And so there wouldn't have been a chance to amass a fan base at all without immediately being on a national or international stage. I think what hurts, and I understand it, I empathize with it. I, I think their fans were hurt because they developed an identity in Berkeley and in San Francisco and their fans loved them. And then they got famous. I think now there's no time to sell out. No, you can put a song on Spotify and someone in Africa could listen to it tonight. I was watching a documentary about this this week and... They said that their distribution of their first two albums was as far as their van would drive because the CDs were sitting in the back of the van. Selling out might be dead. <laughs> it might not exist anymore. I'm down with it. Fuck the haters, says Nelly and Green Day. Walk me through some personal stories that you have about this album. Tell me your experience with it. Dookie was the first album that truly opened my eyes to actual rock music. Distorted guitar, fast pace, rock bass lines. I hadn't heard anything like this. I remember feeling cool for liking Green Day at an early age. And by the way, I'm 10, you know, 10, 11 years old when I discovered Green Day. We're not talking about like I'm 20 years old. I mean, very, very young. And I'm going to tell you guys the story of me, the genesis of me discovering Green Day. And I think it's a really good story. Uh, so it's 1995 and I'm hanging out at my friend Sean's house. I used to go over to his house all the time and Sean had an older brother. He was three to four years older than us, maybe five years. So call, you know, he's 14 or 15 years old. And when I go over to Sean's house, I would sneak into his brother's room. <laughs> I had one plan in mind. I would do this all the time. My plan was to go over to his CD player with mm -hmm. his CD collection. Again, it's 1995. And I would look to see what new CDs that his brother had. Mm -hmm. That was my way of discovering new music. This is, you know, basically pre-internet. But first thing I wanted to do is call out uh, a scene in the movie Almost Famous. And there's a connection here, I promise. Almost Famous is my favorite movie of all time. And if you've never seen Almost Famous and you love music, you've got to go watch this movie. Trust me. Almost Famous is set in the 70s. There's a kid. He's about 11 years old, like I was in this story. And his older sister is rebellious and their mother is like really religious. So his older sister moves out. She's going to college. She's packing up the car. He walks out to the car. She leans over and whispers to him and goes, one day you'll be cool. Look under my bed. It'll set you free. And the next scene is him finding all of her LPs under her bed in a bag. He pulls them out and he starts flipping through. Led Zeppelin II, Joni Mitchell Blue, Tommy by The Who. Then with that Tommy album by The Who is a note. And the note says, listen to Tommy with a candle burning and you will see your entire future. Mm -hmm. And then it shows him like lying on her bed, the music's playing and, and all that. And it sets, it's, it's early in the movie. So it's setting up this movie, which by the way, is the director Cameron Crowe. It's a true story mm -hmm. of his mm -hmm. life. Great movie. Go watch it. So back to my story. This, this is like my story. And by the way, mm -hmm. when I saw that scene, I teared up. That's how, mm -hmm. like, how much that scene meant to me. Uh, so one day I go into his room. Again, it's 1995. And there is Dookie. 
I grab the CD case and I'm looking <laughs> at it and there's the cover. And this cover, we're going to talk about it, is special. You mm-hmm. know you're looking at something that's different and cool. I pick it up. I open up. I look at the liner notes. I stared at this thing for probably 10 minutes. It's just an amazing piece of art. I take the CD out and put it in his CD player and I just listen to it for probably the entire album. I was obsessed. You know, I went home that week, convinced my parents to drive me to the mall to buy me Dookie. Whenever I listen to this album, I think of that moment. It was such a big deal in my life. Uh, And my last final story here is five years ago, fast forward, five years ago, call it 2016. My little cousin was in town and she's about 16 years old at this time. She's visiting the family and she goes, Hey, Jordan, have you heard the new Green Day album? And, and, and I, you know, I, to her, I go back, I go to me, American idiot is the new green day album. And that came out in 2004, by the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my aunt goes, welcome to getting old. And I was just like, Oh, this isn't happening. <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, that's my another green day memory for me is like, I get asked, have you heard the new green day album in 2016 or whatever? And to me, American idiot is still new because you know, how long I've been a Green Day fan. Those are my mm-hmm. two Green Day stories. What are yours, Greg? This album came out, we were like eight years old. We're not independent people at this point, but we're watching MTV. We're becoming independent. At least we think we are, right? And there's three albums from this time period that I have very close associations with, and I hope that we do at some point. Doggy Style by Snoop Dogg and Weezer, the Blue Album, both of for very similar reasons. I had a friend whose older sister had those albums. I used to sit outside of her closed door because she thought I was weird. So the door was closed. I would just sit outside and listen to her, listen to Doggy Style and Weezer. And then Dookie. Those are the three. That's the pantheon of albums from this period of time for me. And similar to Jordan saying on the Beastie Boys Paul's Boutique episode, that sort of the Beastie Boys were his first band. Dookie was the first album of a band that I felt like was mine. My parents didn't introduce me to it uh, like they did Graceland and Paul Simon. That's one of my favorite albums of all time. My siblings didn't introduce it to me like License to Ill or like Pocketful of Kryptonite. I found this on my own through MTV, and that felt very personal to me, even at a very young age. And this is where we're starting to form our love for music. And I didn't have a copy yet. So there was this kid I went to school with. I remember his name being Chucky. But who the, who the fuck Probably knows? Probably not. I, I don't remember his name. And even if it is, it's good that we're not saying his real name. He would bully the shit out of me at school. He was mean. He would call me, you know, people say that I have a weight problem, but he would just call me fat. He would be physical towards me. He was mean and I hated him. But I found out that he had a copy of Dookie. And so I asked him if I could come over, despite the fact that I knew the entire time would be torture. So we'd go out for like a couple of days. I'd go over to his house after school and we'd listen to the album over and over and over again. Remember, it's really short. So you'd listen to it once and start over again. And so it was a, it was a beautiful compromise that he got to bully me uh, and I got to listen to Dookie. And in retrospect, I think that's a fair trade-off. It's a symbiotic relationship. That is 100% true. $10 word. When I finally got the album on tape first, I wore it out. This is one of those albums that I've had on every format that has been popular during my lifetime. I owned it on tape, which is what I first had it on. I then had it on CD. I illegally downloaded it on Napster so that I could get it onto digital formats. Minidisc, iTunes, so I could purchase it for real. And then I streamed on Spotify. There's a handful of albums that have crossed the gamut for me, and this is one of them. Last story, I remember this very vividly, similarly to you. 
it must have been New Year's Eve in 1994, I think, given the dates. But MTV, do you remember this, did this countdown on New Year's Eve of the top 100 music videos of the year. And they'd go from 100 down to 1. Do you remember this? For some reason, I do not remember that. It was my favorite thing growing up. And so I would sit there. My parents would usually either have a New Year's Eve party or they'd go somewhere. So it would either be me by myself or my sister and she'd be upstairs or whatever. I would just sit glued to the television the whole day from waking up to the ball dropping. I didn't care about Times Square. I cared about this. And I would watch every single music video, 100 music videos in a row, and just waiting for Basket Case to come on. In my memory, it was number one. Who knows where it actually was? It was like towards the top. But I went ballistic when it came on. It's a top three favorite music video of all time, along with Sabotage and my personal favorite, Mo Money, Mo Problems. I also really loved When I Come Around's music video. As a kid, it's kind of like a lot of people who are interested in technology, they start to think about where does technology come from. And so this was around the time that I started learning about Silicon Valley. I found out that that music video took place in San Francisco and sort of the Bay Area. It made me want to move to San Francisco. And The Long View is also a good music video. This is, to me, the pinnacle of music videos. Yeah, and I want to call out the Longview music video. It's filmed in their actual apartment they were living in at the time. Yeah. And part of the music video is filmed in their bathroom. And it's the smallest, like, airplane bathroom. Just go watch this music video. It's hilarious. But it's their actual real apartment that they were living in while recording the album. And it's really cool. As far as the album goes, give me some of your initial impressions. Listening to this album end to end like we do for this entire week, we're doing deep dive research on this. It's better than I remember. Nimrod is my personal favorite album by Green Day. This one's a close second. It has really no low points. Like you said, it's 30 something minutes. Every song is fast paced. It's quick. Uh, It's bite sized. It just goes and goes and goes. It never really relents on the music. Longview. Welcome to Paradise, Basket Case, When I Come Around. All 90s rock classics. When I Come Around, though, and Basket Case are the most nostalgic to me. When I hear those songs, I just go straight back to the mid to late 90s as I'm listening to these songs. And when this album came out in 1994, a general impression I have is, is this the best punk album to date in the history of music? When this album came out? I would love for you to go on the punk subreddit. Post yeah, that. No, they, they'd probably I be. guarantee you someone will show up to your house and beat the shit out of you for saying I, that. I know. And I, the answer is yes. I really oh. think it is. So The Clash isn't a punk band to me. They have punk undertones and maybe even overtones in some of their songs, but I don't think The Clash as a punk band. London Calling might be a better album than this album, but I don't see that as a punk album. Mm-hmm. So I will allow that. I, I think a couple of things. Number one is obviously you and I are not punk fans we're green day we're fans, not. right what i assume is that just like any other genre like if, if you asked what is the best country album of all time you and i would probably talk about some much more obscure country artists yeah. number one i would love to know more about punk music so if you have ideas send them to us of what to listen to but i think at this point it is a great album like i i think at this point it's almost hard to say that we don't we don't say the beatles revolver is the best rock album of all time we just talk about it being one of the best albums of all time. I I think this album stands up for sure. I just don't know enough about punk to validate your statement. Yeah, and it's just one of the first things I thought on this research was, is this the best punk album ever recorded at the time it was released? And I went back and I listened to some Mm -hmm. albums to try to determine if that was true or not. And I do think in 1994 that it was. 
an argument I have for that is obviously there's four major hits on this album, major, major hits. I think if you remove two of them, it would still be a classic album. Mm-hmm. That's sure. impressive. And then last thing I'll say is 90s rock is my favorite genre by far in all of music. And I have one of the most followed 90s rock playlists in the world. And three songs from this album are on that playlist, Mm -hmm. which is very, very rare because that playlist, I try to make it be spread across a bunch of artists and not be too heavy on certain artists or albums. Three songs made it. I should put Welcome to Paradise on it, but that's saying a lot for a playlist of that size. What are your general impressions, Greg? I just love how concise it is. There's no wasted time. Every track, every chorus, every verse, every drum fill, every solo, it's efficient. It's to the point. It doesn't bullshit. It's like the difference between watching a 90-minute action movie and a three-hours drama. Both have their place, but sometimes you just want to sit down and very quickly be entertained. And this album is incredibly entertaining from the cover to the actual music. I know they got a lot of flack for punk fans, but as a seven-year-old, this music was accessible to me while also taking me way out of my comfort zone. I'm sure that statement of someone, some nerdy little kid who's growing up in a privileged background, doesn't have anything controversial in their life, that probably in itself is a like a statement that pisses off punks. But I think that's kind of beautiful because I would not have known about a lot of things that I didn't know about without listening to this album. I started exploring a lot more. I think I came much more towards less popular music because they came to me. I I would never have gone off and just started trying to find punk bands. I would have never happened upon some underground band in California. So I think this album is accessible while also being very different. I love how strong the bass and the drums come across. You mentioned there's only three people in the band. Very few songs you listen to in which you hear the bass line as an instrument. Usually it's just sort of part of the, the rhythm section. I also really like Billy Joe Armstrong's voice. I think probably most people when they first hear this album think he's from England. And he actually once joked that I'm an American guy faking an English accent, faking an American accent. And that it's nails incredible. it, I think. Yeah. It's just his voice. Is, it's exactly that. The last thing I'll say is it feels like a really intentional mixtape. If, if any of you have read the Beastie Boys book or have made your own mixtape or seen High Fidelity, this has been discussed in different places. There's this intentionality towards crafting a mixtape where you want to kind of start off strong and then you want to ease into some slower things and then pick it back up. And there's all these theories in the art of making a mixtape. This album sort of feels like that. It starts off immediately punching you in the mouth and then it sort of eases into long view and a little break and then it leads back up and then it gets down to when I come around and then brings back down to FOD. It has this really nice rhythm to it in a very short period of time. All in all, I think this album is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I think it's really cool how it starts with burnout. It just yeah. right off the bat after immediately like a se- there's like some um, distortion and feedback when it first starts and boom, he's singing. Yeah. Within a second and a half, he's singing and that's really rare in music to start mm-hmm. off an album where you're just singing right away. I love it. Yeah, it's great. Let's talk about some similar albums. You know, if you're kind of talking to people about Green Day and they, they haven't heard about Green Day or maybe they have and you want to introduce them to some new bands, what are some comparable artists uh, and albums to Green Day's Dookie? If you like Dookie, go listen to Dude Ranch by Blink-182. It's kind of right before they became really big. They had mm-hmm. some mild success with it. There's a song called Damn It, D-A-M-M-I-T. Uh, on it go listen to that song tragic kingdom no doubt 
Gwen Stefani, which by the way, this is the second episode in a row we've mentioned Gwen Stefani. <laughs> I did not see that coming. She was in an awesome band called No Doubt. Uh, they had an album called Tragic Kingdom. Listen to the song Spiderwebs. Really cool song. Uh, the Offspring has an album called Smash. Listen to the song Self Esteem. If you know your 90s music, you know these songs, but maybe some of our listeners don't. Sure. And then Fall Out Boy from Under the Cork Tree. This album is big time Green Day influence. Uh, Fall Out Boy is the Green Day of the 2000s, and they're the next iteration of pop punk. Those are my four albums that came to mind for album comps. I agree with all of those. You mentioned, I actually, this is one of those things that I've never heard this word said out loud. I always thought it was Husker Du. I, I don't know how to say it. In the documentary for this album, they pronounce it Husker Du. Husker Du, which this shows how not cool we are. Um, Husker Du, it's actually a band that I've listened to. I, I worked at a radio station freshman year in college, and that's where I dove much more into independent music that I just didn't have a lot of access to where I grew up. Husker Du, I, I definitely would check them out if you haven't. I also want to bring up The Replacements. The Replacements are one of my favorite bands. They're obviously not incredibly obscure. I think a lot of people know who The Replacements are. But they kind of live in this place that, as you probably know when you listen to this podcast, Jordan and I tend to go wide in music and not necessarily deep, right? So we're not fans of one genre, and we know every band in that genre. So we might say sometimes this band that we're like, this is a band that we don't really know that much about. And you might be banging your head against a wall saying everyone knows that band. But for us, because we listen to so many different types of music... A lot of bands, what's cool is even in this age, we get to learn about new bands that we might not have known about. But The Replacements are a band that I've liked for a really long time. Their, their most famous album is Let It Be. It has songs like Androgynous on it, which are very famous. But if you like Green Day, listen to The Replacements. They're awesome. I think they're one of the best bands of the 80s. The Muffs, self-titled album. I, I love The Muffs when I was sort of like at later, a little bit later age because it's called The Muffs. Smashing Pumpkins, specifically Siamese Dream, I think makes sense here. Not all of Smashing Pumpkins stuff you would vibe off of if you like Green Day. Veruca Salt is a, is a band, American Thighs, No Effects. No Effects and Rancid had a album called White Trash, Two Heaves and a Bean, which I think you would really like No Effects if you like Green Day. Rancid also having an album called Let's Go, Some 41, 13 Voices, The Suicide Machine, Steal This Record, and then if you like Green Day, I highly recommend listening to Me First and the Gimme Gimme's if you already haven't. It is a super group of punk uh, band members that almost exclusively do covers. And I highly recommend starting with Me First and the Gimme Gimme's Art Drag. Let's talk about cover art. This might be our favorite cover art of any album that we have done and might ever will do. So let's dig in here. What do you think about it? It's perfect. It's one of the best album covers of all time. I talked about this before. I think to truly appreciate this album cover, I hate to sound old, but you had to see it in the CD form and actually old. sit there and hold it. Looking at it on Spotify is fine, but you know, actually physically holding it was way better. It's so perfectly 90s. It's so perfectly punk. It's so perfectly rock. The logo, Green Day. Mm -hmm. I don't have any tattoos. If I were to get a tattoo of a band, I feel like I'd want that logo as a tattoo. It's just yeah. so cool. It looks amazing. It's hand drawn. I love the monkey holding the poop in the bottom left corner. It's great. Uh, and it's, it has a thought bubble saying throw, you yep. know, like basically like it might, should I throw this? Mm -hmm. It's a classic album cover. I can't imagine someone saying this is, this is not a good album cover. It's not very good. This album cover honestly makes every other album cover blush in my Ooh. opinion. <laughs> so I, I love this album cover. <laughs> clutching my pearls i agree with everything you just said but i'm gonna talk anyway i wish 
you talked about it being a CD. I actually wish that I had this on vinyl as a kid, just so it was bigger. I actually like it on digital because you can zoom in and I I was able to notice a lot of things I didn't remember as a kid. It kind of reminds me of like if Conan O'Brien, who his show was starting around the same time, if Conan O'Brien and like National Lampoon's art directed an album cover because it's it's really out there and just funny for weird reasons that don't make sense. Part of that is because the artist Richie Boucher, I think, again, I haven't heard these names pronounced out loud. He was an East Bay punk who is very clearly a good illustrator. It was actually really controversial at the time because of the logo is looks like an atomic bomb and it is landing on Telegraph Avenue. So it was controversial for two reasons. Number one is amongst punks, obviously any sort of references to war, you know, defense, etc., is going to be controversial. Number two, the question that they had was, what is the statement making about Berkeley? Are you are you blowing up Berkeley? Are you saying something meta about what you think about the Berkeley scene that created you? We've spent a lot of time in Telegraph Avenue in Berkeley. It's sort of a very famous spot for a lot of reasons, but it's a place where especially punks and cool people tend to congregate there. It's one of my favorite album covers of all time. I used to spend hours looking at it, trying to figure out what it meant, had no idea what half the references were. This was sort of the Sgt. Pepper's cover of our childhood, right? It's one of those covers that there's references that you don't understand. And this is still early internet, but we would have had really no way to understand what those references were unless someone cooler than us knew about it, somebody older probably, or it was covered in a magazine, which I never remember. So a lot of the references in here, there's it has ACDC's Angus Young from Black Sabbath's first album. There's sort of this like creepy woman on the cover. It has Big Stars, which is another great band that people should listen to, Alex Chilton. It has Patti Smith on the front cover. It has a reference to Black Panther leader Huey Newton, who is from the Bay Area. It has uh, references to the University of California marching band. Again, University of California is in Berkeley. It also has just some friends that they shot out, like local photographer Murray Bowles. And then also um, a reference to the Twisted Dog Sisters, who were a group of girls who hung out on Berkeley's Telegraph Avenue. So it's just like a very rich cover from a content point of view. What songs from this album do you put on playlists? I have a few. FOD, I put on acoustic songs by punk bands. This song is a preview of what's to come with Time of Your Life. Good Riddance, Time of Your Life is maybe arguably Green Day's biggest song. Everyone knows it. It was played at Greg, you and I, our graduation. It was was played, which is so cliche. But FOD, it kind of gives you a preview of what is to come with Time of Your Life. Longview, best bass lines of all time. If I played bass, which I don't, I would want to learn this song first. Let's say I was going to a lesson. I would walk in and i go, teach me Longview. <laughs> this song is so cool. And then lastly, the four singles make any 90s rock playlist. What made your playlist, Greg? First, I want to say I would... I think Longview would be my top five if I wanted to play bass. The second would be Into the Mystic by Van Morrison. Yeah. So I have a couple ideas here. These are all playlists that I want to create but don't have. I would put When I Come Around on all-time favorite songs, which I actually do have that playlist. Examples of that, Still Crazy After All These Years by Paul Simon, Souvenirs by John Prine, Express Yourself by NWA, The Corner by Corey Brandon, shout out to Corey Brandon, Always On My Mind by Phantom Planet. There's a lot of songs on that. When I Come Around is one of my favorite songs of all time. Burnout, best all-time first tracks on albums. I think it belongs in that conversation. A couple ones that I ha- would have on that playlist if I were to get around to making it. 
Welcome to the Jungle by Guns N' Roses. I can't believe that album started with Welcome to the Jungle. That that fucks. Uh, Debaser by the Pixies. Shout out to any Pixie fans out there. And then Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones. Basket Case would be on a list of songs about paranoia. Some of my favorites are 20th Century Man by the Kinks, Life During Wartime by the Talking Heads, and Private Idaho by B-52s. And then last one, All By Myself, would be on my list of best hidden tracks. Lauren Hill, and, and by the way, for those of you who aren't familiar with what a hidden track is, on Spotify, it has All By Myself on the actual track list as track 15. However, in the original recording of this album, that was not the case. There was no track 15. All By Myself was hidden some number of minutes or seconds after the end of FOD. So it was actually part of the FOD. This is what a hidden track is. Instead of creating another track, they would just have silence. You think the album's over. And then after a period of time, there'd be another song or a skit or something, whatever. So these are some of the best versions of that in my mind. Lauren Hill, uh, at the end of uh, the miseducation of Lauren Hill had Can't Take My Eyes Off of You. Dr. Dre's Bitches Ain't Shit is also a hidden track. It was not a track on the original recording of The Chronic. And then The Beatles' Her Majesty. So we're going to talk about deep tracks here and what you think the best deep track on this album is. You can't pick any of the singles. So Long View's off, Basket Case is off, Welcome to Paradise is off, When I Come Around is off, and She is off. What's the best deep track from the album? I went back and forth a lot on this, and I had to settle on Pulling Teeth. Not only is it a great song, but it's wedged between Longview, Welcome to Paradise, and Basket Case. So you've got Longview, then you've got Welcome to Paradise, then you've got this song that's not a single, that's not a hit, called Pulling Teeth, and then you're back to Basket Case. So three of the biggest songs in the 90s, I love Pulling Teeth. I wanted this to not be my song for some reason because I wanted to go deeper, like way into the, the album. I wanted it to be like one of the last three or four songs. I just kept coming back to it. It's two minutes and 31 seconds long, Pulling Teeth is. And I just love how bite-sized this album is. It's so easy to listen to. And it's one of the things I, side note, love about the Beatles, for the most part. The Beatles make really bite-sized songs that are very, very easy to listen to that, for the most part, aren't super long. And my honorable mention is Having a Blast, which is track two on the album. Having a Blast is amazing, and that might have snuck in over Pulling Teeth, but I have a thing against calling something a best deep track when it's the second track on the album. Makes sense. What do you have against someone choosing the third song on an album? I'm okay with that. Okay. Well, that is mine. Chump, uh, you are a, uh, a a strict constitutional originalist in that a deep track has to be on the second side of the album, right? It's in the name. But that's fair. I'm more of a loose interpreter of the term. Uh, any non-single will do for me. And I, I, I just, I love the song Chump. It, it's funny because in my memory, she is a deep track. It's It, it, yeah. well, it didn't feel like a single to me, but Same it was here. a single. But she is my favorite song on the album besides Welcome to Paradise. She is my second favorite. So let's talk about what song would you play? You got one shot, Mom Spaghetti Situation. You have one shot to play uh, a song to convince someone to listen to the rest of this album. What do you choose? When I clicked on, which, yeah, it's 2021, <laughs> I clicked on When I Come Around. It was perfect. That was the answer. It was very clear to me that song is nostalgic, not only it's approachable, it's simple power chords, great bass line, very approachable. 
I would have no issue playing this song for someone in their 70s versus someone who's a teenager. I think they both would like it equally, so I'm going with When I Come Around. Same page. Uh, Pound for Pound, I think it's the best song on the album, and I think it's one of the best songs of the 90s. We talked about the music video earlier. It puts me in this sort of mindset that's like reflective, but also I like that it's a... It's not a ballad, but do you know what I'm saying? Like it's it's... It still rocks underneath. It kind of reminds me of Adam's song. I listened to Adam's song by Blink-182. Oh, what a great song. Uh, it's a great song. I listened to it kind of, it came on after I was listening to some Green Day stuff on YouTube. And I forgot how sort of hard Adam's song is in parts. So it's like when you have a band that has strong guitar parts, but it's a, like sort of a more reflective song. I really like that. If someone doesn't like this, and they probably just only like Chopin or Vladimir Horowitz, which I do too, but just like more stuff listen to the song and enjoy it one thing i'm going to ask you is are the hits on this album punk welcome to paradise is i think welcome to paradise by the way is the most approachable punk song maybe ever written true punk song are the other songs punk i don't know the what hits? punk is i mean i, I honestly I, know, I, I think part of part of what makes this is going to sound both meta and a cop-out part of what makes this album punk to me is they just made music they wanted to fucking make and it happened True. to be popular, right? So, yeah, I, I, I think the singles from this album don't sound like a lot that was on the radio at the time. We're going to talk about Nirvana. They were unique, yeah. They're very unique. And so I, I don't think they... I don't feel like the singles are like the most watered-down songs no. on this album just because they had to be singles. You know what I'm saying? So is it punk? I don't know. But I, I, I it's great. Every song is great, especially the singles. Well, let's talk about if you're listening to this album, you have the opportunity to skip a song. What's one that you just end up hitting that next track button? Because of Spotify, I picked all by myself at first. Mm -hmm. And then I realized it's the hidden track. I had forgotten all these years. I mean, it's easy to forget. You know, it's been many, many years since I've listened to this album actually on a CD. And so that's not fair. It's not its own track. Mm -hmm. So I went back and I was like, all right, what's the one that I honestly find myself skipping the most? And it's in the end. First, Mm -hmm. it's just an okay song. It's kind of throwaway. It's not amazing. I like it. It's just not my favorite. And then this is really stupid. But every time I see it, I think in the end by Linkin Park. (laughs) And I I just can't get that out of my head, which is a really bad reason. But it's just an okay song. I don't love it. What's yours? I also started with in the end and then because of the experience of listening to it but after listening to it about a hundred times this week i actually kind of started to look forward to it i think the reason why in the end is mine is not so much what i think about in the end it's just because i want to skip to get to fod faster yeah because i love that song what is the you know music writ large world writ large what's the legacy of this album First, I want to set some context for how I feel about Green Day's legacy with an example. And Greg, unfortunately, you stole my thunder on this. I was going to try to pick a random band. Yeah, we got notes here. We're prepared. We don't just like roll up here and just do this. We're prepared. We have notes, right? I wrote down Smashing Pumpkins, just picking a band at random, even though unfortunately you've already mentioned them in this episode. But Smashing Pumpkins, if someone walked up to me on the street and they're like, hey, man, what do you think of Smashing Pumpkins? I'd be like, they're a good band with some, some really, really good songs. But I don't think rock music needs the Smashing Pumpkins. If you remove the Smashing Pumpkins from rock history, would they be missed? 
Yeah, probably. They're not that important. <laughs> I, I, I really, yeah, I don't want Smashing Pumpkin fans to come after us. I love the Smashing Pumpkins, but I'm going to use that as context for Green Day. Okay. Green Day's legacy is huge. Green Day is ground zero for the invention of an entire genre and pop mm-hmm. punk. Nirvana popularized grunge and Green Day popularized punk. Mm-hmm. So I, before I said that, I wanted to go back and do the research. So I went back and I listened to rock from 1990 to 1993. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like this album. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. He listened to every... Every single album, album that's ever that been released. Ever released between those <laughs> I, two dates. I mean, look, you know, we all have limited time in our lives. <laughs> I listened to a bunch of playlists from 1990 to 93 of just rock songs. And I was, there was no, not one song that I could find that was similar to this album. And that's really cool. Next thing, post-grunge is after Green Day. Mm-hmm. And that was popularized by Third Eye Blind, Matchbox 20, etc. And this album did for punk what mm-hmm. country grammar did for rap. Last thing I'll say, let's say we're doing a pantheon of influential rock music with only 25 albums in it mm-hmm. ever. So in the history of rock music from now all the way back to rock's inception, you have 25 albums and all of them are just the most influential albums for the entire genre. Dookie is on that list unquestionably. So back to Smashing Pumpkins. I don't think a Smashing Pumpkins album makes that list. And that's only the point I was trying to make there. So Stop obviously, it. they're already dead. Changed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm beating a dead horse here. Let me just um, say the Smashing Pumpkins suck. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. <laughs> Billy Currington's going to whoop my ass. Is that his name? Billy Currington? No, that's, that's a fucking country star. What's his name? Billy. I don't even know his goddamn name. Billy now Corrigan. he's really going to whoop my ass. Corey. What is Cor- it? Corrington? I, don't know. <laughs> I thought it was Corrigan, but now it's in my head and I don't right, know. It's, it's Billy Corgan. Okay. Billy, and the fact that I called Billy Corgan <laughs> Billy Currington is even it's worse. really going to make this worse. He's going to show up to my house, Jay and Silent Bob style, and just <laughs> knock on my door and whoop my ass. <laughs> so uh, I'll keep an eye out for that. Uh, Greg, oh, what's your legacy for God. Dookie? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I am going to say something controversial i think this album is as important as nevermind and i will say i am not a huge nirvana fan i was around when nirvana came out i understand nirvana but i just don't re-listen to nirvana i don't spend time with nirvana i don't really want to and i not the first person to say this but i think part of nirvana's legacy has to do with kurt cobain as much as it and specifically the way that he passed as much as the music I understand the context of, of Nevermind coming out and being something that is completely different than anything else that was on the radio. And I understand the context of unseating hair metal and Michael Jackson and everything else. But this album deserves to be in that same conversation. I'm not saying it's better. I'm not saying it's more important. I'm not doing a hot take. But I think that people should talk about Dookie the same, with the same regard as they talk about Nevermind. Do you agree or disagree? Yes, I 100% agree they should. I just think that Green Day is underrated. I think they got shit on a lot then. I I think they don't get the respect that they deserve now. Of course, they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They went certified diamond, so it's not like they're an underground band. But 
It's really important. I think this is really the first rock album we've done. I don't know if you agree with that. Cake is obviously an alternative rock band. Yeah, it's the first true rock album. Yeah, and both of you and I love rock music. And, uh, you know, alternative rock is, is crystallized in the 90s. And the last thing I'll say is we've talked a lot about we sort of defined this as pop punk. I want to I wanna define this as sort of punk revival in the same way that I want to define country grammar as rap revival and that I, I don't think that pop punk is bad. I think when most people say pop punk, pop rap, pop country, they say it with a certain sneer on their lips. I think this album is sincere. It has to do with the band's life and it's personal. And I think it to me, it just so happened to be popular. It wasn't something that they intended to do. So I think that's... Part of the legacy here is that Dookie is an uncompromising album that changed people's taste in music, not the other way around. So let's talk about then who or what has this album inspired? Like I mentioned in the last episode, Nelly made Drake possible. Mm-hmm. Green Day made Fall Out Boy possible. And I keep bringing up Fall Out Boy because they, Fall Out Boy was huge. Massive, massive. massive Everybody band. liked them. In fact, I would argue that Fall Out Boy was the last truly massive, commercially successful rock band. To this day, I think they were the last one. And there still hasn't been one since. Maybe Kings of Leon, but that's, that's different. I think Fall Out Boy was way bigger. I hate to say this, and it's something that I say, and it's true. Rock is all but dead now. Mm-hmm. It honestly is. And rock has been replaced by hip-hop. There's nothing wrong with that. I just wish they could coexist. Mm-hmm. So what do I mean by that? Rock was played on pop radio in the 90s and 2000s. So you would turn on your local pop radio station mm-hmm. and you would hear Britney Spears and then you would hear a rock song. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen today. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's just something that I really miss. I want to say one thing before we move on to my portion here. At the risk of us sounding like two 35-year-old dudes talking about how rock is dead which is not i don't want to pigeonhole ourselves as that i honestly don't think that rock is dead and i don't think that even like the hip-hop that we love is dead i think all music has now converged into a genreless experience that all music has just become pop music that if you listen to music now there is rock in it even if you can't distinguish it as being rock all music has rap in it even if you can't distinguish it as rap all music has pop all music has techno basically all we are in a, in, a, in a world now where there's so much access to different types of music that has created this sort of amalgamation, this mixture of all of these different types of music. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but what I am curious about is whether or not that changes, right? Not does rock come back, but because they're still rock bands, they're making music, right? It's just not in the public consciousness as much as it used to. But I am very curious about what the future of sort of rock music is. The day that comes when a three-man rock band or a woman rock band forms Mm -hmm. and can release a song that becomes massively successful with just guitar, bass, drums, and vocals, Mm -hmm. I will be impressed. You made a great point, right? Like like DaBaby, the rapper, has Mm -hmm. rock elements in Mm -hmm. his rap songs. I love that. But I'm curious to see if a three-person outfit can Mm -hmm. create with just a bass Guitar and drums, a rock hit. So maybe when it's will this. That maybe it's this. Rock bands, popular rock bands are dead, but I don't think rock music is. I think that's, Fair that's enough. the compromise. I will take that. Okay. Okay. Same page, ladies and gentlemen. We just taught America how to agree. <laughs> I think 
every rock band in the 90s owes a lot to Green Day, whether they consciously admit it or not. I think it's probably a lot of bands who are still like, fuck Green Day, they suck. But they owe a lot to Green Day. They took an underground sound and made it mainstream. And while, again, they got shit on for being sellouts, they also brought that sound and ethos to the world. And I think that's special. There's this this attitude of the 90s that's both hyper-consumer and commercial and also like we're unique and on our own and it's just like this weird time frame of coming out of the 80s and leading up to the 2000s that dookie sits at the center of that where you could both buy a lot of shit and say that you hated buying shit and then they paved the way for a lot of bands you talked about blink 182 offspring yellow card fallout boy some of those bands were already in existence but i don't think they would have been as famous without green day so last segment dookie introduced the world to california punk or pop punk or punk revival or whatever we want to call it and so I want to know from you, what are some of the best albums that introduced a new sound to the world that sort of broke a genre that already existed into the public consciousness? So I'm going to do 70s through Dookie. So I'm going to go from the 70s and stop at Dookie. I thought you were going to start I'm, with like Mongolian chants, 600 <laughs> AD. 1400 okay. BC. Damn um, no. right. I'm going to skip a few just for sake of time, but this list I feel is a good start. So I'm going to skip over the 60s, not enough of an expert to really know there. I'm going to start with Dark Side of the Moon, Pink Floyd. Sounds like it was recorded in the 2000s. That album doesn't need an explanation. Next, 70s, Kraftwerk. Their early albums like Trans Europe Express. This is a band in the mid-70s doing electronic music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They preceded everything you can possibly imagine. They're, they're just way, way ahead of their time, and they've influenced most music you even listen to today. Rapper's Delight, Sugar Hill Gang, was the first hip-hop song to have that commercial and mainstream success. I know that song has a bad reputation in the a rap bad world. Rap. The bad Unintended. rap yeah, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the rap world, but it still is important. Van Halen by Van Halen is arguably the birth of hair metal, which is late 70s. Thriller by Michael Jackson, obviously a major, massively successful album, but I, I think that's the birth of modern pop music that still exists today. Nevermind by Nirvana, which we've talked about in this episode, invented grunge, and Dookie by Green Day invented pop punk. So I think this album belongs on that list in inventing and bringing that new sound to the masses that we're talking about. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of those. I also chose pre-Green Day stuff. The Chronic, to me, is maybe the most groundbreaking album of all time. I talk about it on pretty much every episode because it's one of my favorites, even though I like Doggy Style better. When you first listen to The Chronic, you know that everything has changed about anything that you knew about the genre, the excellence of the production, the the feeling of that album, the attitude of that album, the chronic to me is the top of this list. I had Funkadelic. I think it's kind of impossible to talk about funk without George Clinton. Obviously, funk like punk is a sort of iteration on a genre. And I, I think at, at some point, every genre is just an iteration on the genre that came before. Southern Rock, The Almond Brothers, I think Idlewild South is definitely an album that starts the branch. Like it's just, okay, now we're not talking about rock, we're talking about Southern Rock. And then I think metal, same thing, Black Sabbath. I think the first Black Sabbath album, it just, it creates a fork. And now we're talking about metal, we're not talking about rock and roll anymore. Again, these are all landmark albums. I think Dookie is a landmark album. There's a reason why they're in the Hall of Fame. There's a reason why they've won 20 Grammys, because they are an excellent band who have been providing us music for almost 30 years. 
So just first and foremost, thanks as always for spending time with us. Uh, Obviously, this album meant a lot to us, and we hope that if it meant a lot to you, that you found some memories or thought about this yourself or gave it another listen and you hadn't maybe stared at the album cover for 20 minutes. And if you never heard this album by some chance, or if you've never heard of Green Day, I, I hope that it makes you listen and you love it as much as we did. You can get this podcast wherever you find podcasts. Give us a rating. It helps us out a lot. Again, we're still new to this and we're trying to figure out what's working and what's not working. So we radically invite your feedback. So yeah, thanks again. Thank you. See ya.